today is actually the last day of the sermon series that we've been going through, Everyday Discipleship. And I, I've got to say that today's is, it, it strikes a little bit closer to home to me. It's, it's discipleship in the family or in our families. And with me having three younger boys, it, it, it really strikes me differently. So uh, if you don't know, I've got a two-year-old, well, um, not even two-year-old, a little Riker, and then I've got a five-year-old that's Keen, and then I've got a seven-year-old named Cyrus. And Keen obviously doesn't really, you know, know too much, and of course my two-year-old doesn't either. But Cyrus, on the other hand, has started, you know, asking questions. Not too, too many. He's, he's still a little young. But anyway, I, uh, I thought about, you know, a few years ago when I started noticing this stuff, it's like, Okay, any time that I see a moment to bring my faith to the conversation, any time I have that, that I can, you know, kind of come to Jesus moment, I can, I can teach them something, whatever that may be, I want to take advantage of it. So, uh, because, I mean, that, that's obviously what I want to do. So the other night we were eating supper, and we were sitting down, uh, and I decided, you know, I thought I'd ask the kids, I was like, you know, how was your day at school? And Cyrus said, oh, it was really good. It was really good, but I'm getting in trouble at school. And I said, why are you getting in trouble? And he said, well, people are making me laugh, and, and I'm getting in trouble. I said, well, maybe you should move. He said, well, we're, we're going to see if I can move, you know, get out of that place. And I said, well, that'll be good. And you know how kids are. You know, they can't say something bad about themselves without saying something bad about their brothers, you know. So he says, well, well Cain is being a bully. And I said, being a bully? I said, I looked at Cain. I said, have you been being a bully? He said, no, I'm not being a bully. I said, are you sure? Because I'm not going to raise a bully. He said, no, I've never bullied anybody. I said, well, listen, son. I was talking to both of them. I said, you need to love the people that you're around. I said, you know, these are your friends. You need to treat them with respect and and love. And uh, at that moment, I thought, this could be one of those moments. So I said, um, there used to be a saying that people said when I was growing up, and I, I actually haven't heard it in a long time, but I said, the, the saying was, what would Jesus do? And, and Cyrus said, really? I said, yeah. I said, the, the way you would use it is if one of your friends or if you were doing something wrong, you would just say, what would Jesus do? And then the person would look, oh, you know, I, you know, I probably shouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't do that. So, okay, I won't do it anymore. And uh, about this time, while he was doing that, Kelly was over here. Uh, so I, I don't know if other women, I, I know there's women in here that do this. So she was like over there with her food, and she was like using her phone to take a picture of her food. Does any women do that? Yeah, I, I don't understand it. But anyway, about the time I was telling him about this, what would Jesus do? She was over there doing that, and he looks at me and he says, Dad, I don't think Jesus would do that. And I said, I didn't know what he was talking about, actually, at the moment. And I looked over, and I went, oh, my gosh. I said, son, yeah, you're right. I don't think Jesus would do that. But anyway, I, uh, right after he said that, he said, Dad. And I, I, for some reason, I thought this boy is about to start the conversation even farther. He said, Dad. I said, yes, son. He went, I'm getting really good at skating. And just like that, within a matter of a second, different topic. But I got about one or two minutes in to where I could actually teach him, and it was, it was wonderful. But the, the big thing is, I know he's listening. I know all of them are listening. They, lay, they listen to me. They listen downstairs. That They're listening. There, there's one more little story I wanted to tell. 
a couple of weeks ago, we were heading home from church, and just up here on 89, as you're going out of Galax, uh, Hillcrest Baptist Church is right on the, the left-hand side of the road. And as we're, we're passing the church, Cyrus from the back seat says, is that where Jesus died? And I said, well, you, know, that first, you know that first initial thought that goes through your head, you're like, my, my son has gone crazy. You know, what in the world is he talking about? But I looked over, and if you haven't seen over there, uh, on the right-hand side of the church, they've got a cross that, that sits up in the field. And I instantly realized what he was talking about, and, and it was just hilarious. I looked over at my wife, and she was laughing as well. And uh, I just, <laughs> we, we giggled for a second, and I, I looked, I, I didn't look back since I was driving, but I, 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 hollered, I talked back to him, and I said, listen, no, that's, that's not exactly where Jesus, uh, Jesus died. But we think that that's what he, you know, the cross that he died on, that's what it looked like. He said, oh, okay, and here it was, another moment, and this time it was more important because it wasn't something that I started, it was something that he started, so I wanted to keep it going. So instead of just ending this, uh, the topic right then, I decided to go farther and say, so if you didn't know this, Jesus actually was born a long ways from here. You know, I told him about overseas and where he was born in Bethlehem, and he lived in uh, Nazareth and, and Egypt and uh, around the Jerusalem area, and he finally died in Jerusalem. But anyway, I wanted to utilize those moments to be a teaching, a discipling moment. And luckily for me, they ended up very well. Uh, I'm not always going to be perfect, but uh, it, it, was, it was just really nice to be able to uh, do that to my kids. Anyway, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Mike. Uh, he's going to bring the message today, and uh, I hope y'all get something from it. I was here for first service, and uh, it was definitely something that I needed to hear. Thank you. So thanks, Caleb. So uh, it's interesting hearing about your stories with your kids because I remember you being that young. <laughs> and Caleb was a handful. No, we had him, and it's, it makes me feel old, but Jennifer and I started doing youth ministry a long time ago, and Caleb was actually in our youth group. So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of stories on Caleb I could tell that are pretty, yeah, I could, I could, I've got some blackmail material. But I've got a few things I wanted to mention before I, I jumped in to kind of go along. We, we are in this kind of final week of our series about Everyday Disciple, but a couple things I wanted to mention. One um, so I wanted to mention that, I don't know if you guys, we haven't really announced it, but Luke Sawyer, he was playing drums this morning. Um, he stepped into the role as our worship leader, and he has been doing it for really about the past month now, doing an awesome job. And some of you may not know, but Luke was on our very first Cornerstone worship team uh, back in 2004 when we, our church started. Uh, obviously, he was a little bit younger than he was. He said he was like, like 11 years old, right? I think is what he said when uh, he was playing drums uh, for the church. And so he, it was a little weird. We're like, where's our drummer? It's like, oh, he's under the, you know. He, but he, uh, he's, he's doing an awesome job. We're so glad that him and Abby are back in Galax and have, have moved back, and uh, we're putting them to work. So we just really appreciate Luke and his leadership and his help with the worship team. So uh, be sure to thank him and uh, encourage him and, uh, and if you are out there and you can play an instrument, if you can sing, if you uh, want to be involved in the technology side, audio, video, all that with the worship team, let us know. I think sometimes you, you come to a church and you're like, well, they've already got people doing it. They don't need anybody to help. And don't fall into that trap of thinking, well, there's no place for me because we need uh, some people to fill in and help and serve and we, we'll get you just plugged right in. So if that's something you're interested in, Please let one of us know. 
The second thing I wanted to mention is that life groups are starting uh, after Labor Day. Um, and so the last, let's say just going back to 2020, uh, has caused some issues for life groups, right? With all the pandemic-related stuff, it's and knowing who, when you can meet. And who, where, oh, we Life groups are an essential part of our church. And what they are, uh, they're groups that meet in either homes or here at the church, uh, to study t- together, to have fellowship together, uh, to learn and grow together. And it's just part of our DNA. It's part of our founda- foundational beliefs that uh, we need more than Sunday morning. We need to get connected on a deeper level. And our life groups are the primary way we do that. And so we have men's groups. We have women's groups. We have just groups in general for adults. We have groups almost every night of the week. Um, uh, we've got all sorts of different groups meeting. And um, and so you're going to be, be hearing about those the next few weeks. Today, I just want to tell you how you can sign up for them and how you can view them. The easiest way, if you have a mobile phone, is to download the Church Center app. This is the app that has our announcements every week. It has online giving. It has all of our life groups, um, all sorts of things you have on there. Uh, but if you go to it, hit join a life group, you'll see a list of all of our groups. Uh, if you don't uh, when you download that Church Center app, you have to tell it you go to Cornerstone Galax, and it, it'll do that. It'll walk you through that process. It's really easy. Uh, but once you do that, you don't have to do it anymore. It just automatically defaults to that. Uh, the other way you can get to it, if you're at your computer, you can go to mycornerstone.fyi. Mycornerstone.fyi F for your information, FYI. Um, and if you do that, it's the same thing as the app. So you can see the life groups listed. You can see the announcements, all that. So really encourage you to take a look at those. They'll be starting, like I said, in about three weeks. Uh, we have a number of groups starting. We have some starting a few weeks after that. Um, but anyway, take a look at those and really think about how you uh, can get connected uh, in our life groups. And uh, next week, we're actually going to be starting a sermon series about connect, uh, how to connect and how to find true community. So uh, with that being said, we have been in this series, Everyday Disciple. I hope, uh, my hope and prayer is that this has been helpful, that this has been useful to you guys. Uh, this is stuff that you can actually put into practice in your everyday life. That's, uh, this, this series is, was meant to be very, uh, very, very much a practical uh, lesson on how to live your life following Jesus. And so we started off talking about what is a disciple. We, st- we went in and talked about discipleship around the table, like how, how we can use hospitality uh, to share uh, Christ, how we can do discipleship at work in our workplaces, uh, how we can do discipleship online, uh, how we can do discipleship in our neighborhoods. And we save for today what I feel like is the most important and it's discipleship in your own family. Can I just say, um, and, and I think you guys would all agree with me, it's tough being a parent. Amen? It's tough. It, it's hard because you look in our world today, it, it's, it's not easy. I read this. It said being a parent is one of the most stressful, fun, messy, beautiful, overwhelming, encouraging, and difficult callings in the world. Every child in every family is unique, and raising kids is an endlessly challenging adventure. Right? And as soon as you think you got it figured out, your kids change, and you have to kind of go through the whole process again. And that's, that's parenting. That's what it, what it is. I've always joked over the years that 
my definition of parenting is teaching and training your kids to leave. And so that sound, and that really what parenting is, You're, you want your kids to be able to live on their own and, you know, and, and to go out. And, and that sounds kind of cute until you drop your last youngest kid off at college, which is what we did this week. And then it's not so cute anymore, right? Kind of ironic. We're talking about discipleship in the family this week after dropping him off. But you know, the, the, the good thing is, is when you've prepared them and they're ready, it, it does give you a sense of, okay, that they're, they're, they are ready, you know, and it, it gives you a sense of joy to see them go out on their own. Um, your primary role, though, as a parent is to, to teach and to train your kids to follow Jesus. That's what parenting is all about. And I would say this morning, before I even jump in, if you're here this morning and uh, maybe you, you don't have kids at home, maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, or you have uh, cousins, this message is for everybody. It's not just for parents because we all have influence. We all have a responsibility. We're all part of God's family, right? And, and that's really what we want to talk about this morning is how we can help pass down our faith to the next generation, to the next generation. That's, that's, that's the point we want to get across. So, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's typically the verses that you hear when we're talking about passing down your faith. And I wanted to read it out of a, a slightly different version because we've read this passage a lot over the years. I want to read it out of the, the, a paraphrase called the message. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says this, Attention Israel, God, our God, God the one and only, love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. I love that. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and your foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorpost of your home and on your city gates. And so this is, this is where we're going today. How do we do this? How do we put it into practice? How do we really get, you know, get God's word into us and then get it into our children? How do we live a life as an everyday disciple, as an everyday follower of Jesus, and then pass that down to the next generation. Now, I want to give you a couple. Throughout this whole series, I've been giving you some resources. I want to give you two really good books uh, that tie into the message today. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in reading, I, I'm, a, I'm a big reader. I love to read books. So uh, this is one of the big ways I learn and, and stretch my understanding of issues and things. So the first book is called Family Discipleship, Leading Your Home Through Time, Moments, and Milestones. It's by Matt Chandler, pastor down in Texas. Great book. Uh, the second book is a book that really helped Jennifer and I when we read it several years ago. It's called Family on Mission, Integrating Discipleship into the Fabric of Our Everyday Life by Mike and Sally Breen. Uh, both of those books are really good. Uh, the Matt Chandler book's more about, he said, like time and moments and milestones, like being very intentional. Uh, the, the, the other book, Family on Mission, is about how you just... The things you do as you follow Jesus, you bring your kids and you bring others along with you on the journey. So 
uh, really recommend both of those. But it's, it's, they're both about being intentional. And if that's one thing that you could take away this morning, it's that I need to be intentional about passing down my faith. I need to be intentional about taking those moments. I love what Caleb said. You know, he's looking for those opportunities. He's looking for those moments where he can take the conversation and then turn it into a spiritual conversation. That, that's being intentional about our faith. Our, our kids are living in a world that opposes God, that opposes the truth of God. They're living in a world that's telling them that they don't need anybody but themselves. And so what we've got, to, we've got to counter that message. We've got to help them see that they really do need Jesus. Here, here's my definition of family discipleship for you this morning. It's family discipleship is leading your home by doing whatever you can, whenever you can, to help your family become friends and followers of Jesus Christ. Want me to read that again? It's good. Okay. I'll do it. Family discipleship. It's leading your home by doing whatever you can, whenever you can, to help your family become friends and followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. You cannot be a Christian family if you, not, or if you are not a disciple-making family. The, the two go hand in hand. Your family can't follow Christ if you're not doing what Christ commanded, trying to become more and more like Him and leading others to do the same. This is why it's such an important issue. Uh, God may, you know, he could have laid out this world in any way he wanted to, but he designed the unit of the family as the primary vehicle for discipleship. Um, and I'll just give you a disclaimer before we go um, too much farther. You're going to mess up and you're going to mess up a lot as a parent. Amen? It's tough. You're going to say things that you regret. You're going to do things that you regret. You're going to miss opportunities. You're going to mess up. But yet your kids, right, uh, still are learning from you. And so it's not about being perfect. It's about being intentional. It's about, being, it's about following Jesus and teaching them to do the same. And so as a parent, I, I feel like so, so many times I see parents who are like, it's not, you know, I'll let the church handle the spiritual issues because I just don't know enough or I'm not... Uh, I'm not holy enough, or I'm not spiritual enough, or I don't know the answers to the questions. And, and I can, can I just tell you, you can either trust in God's sufficiency or your own inadequacies. I want to trust in God. I want to put my trust on Him and not trust my own failings. And I'm going to mess up, but I can trust that God is going to help give me what I need to teach my kids when they need to know it. And that means we have to be in the Word as well. So I'm going to jump right in today. Um, and this, and let's make this practical. Let's get in the Word. Let's look at what this looks like. Here's my first point today. Um, your family is being discipled every day. The question is, who is doing the discipling? Okay. We talked about this the very first week of this series. It's the last week we're coming back to it. Every single day, we're being discipled by the world, the, the culture around us. And so we've got to be careful as parents. Every single day, our children are being exposed to messages from our culture about how they should look, how they should think, how they should act, how they should dress, what kind of music they should listen to, uh, what's cool, what's not cool, all that stuff. That is discipleship, right? 
And as they grow older, this is just going to get more and more prevalent, right? Uh, it's interesting, like, and I've, I've shared this, I think, before, but growing up here in Galax, we were a little sheltered, right? We were, we were mountain kids, um, and so when something was cool uh, in culture, we didn't know it, <laughs> right? We didn't know it until like 10 years later when, or when we'd go to the mall and say, oh, people are wearing that now. Is that what we're supposed to wear? We really didn't care. Everybody in the mountains, we were a little backward, right? That's part of, that's changed though now, right? Why? Because the influence of the internet, because what we, what we see now is that our young, our children, our youth, they're seeing it from a young age now. They're getting bombarded with messages every day on, and it really what it is, it's the culture trying to shape them into a mold for marketing purposes. That, that's, what, that's what's happening right now. And so when we, become, when we become a follower of Christ, it says we are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. In Romans 12, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we need to be different. Uh, and, and Peter, it says we are holy, we are set apart, right? In 1 Peter. And, and, and so what we see in the, these verses is it tells us we should be different. Why? Because we're part of of God's family. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we are no longer strangers and foreigners. We are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family, and together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by spirit. And so now we are the temple of God. The temple is not man-made. It's in us. And God lives in us because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And so we live differently. We act differently. We think differently because we have the Holy Spirit. That is what we're teaching our kids is they need to be holy. They need to be set apart. They need to be different. They need to look different than the world around us. So who is discipling your kids? How are they being discipled? In God's design, right, parents are given the closest proximity. They're given the greatest influence in the lives of their children. You have a privilege if you are a parent. You get to mold, you get to shape, you get to influence the life of your child. You get to teach them to, to love and to trust and to obey the one who made them. And, and so you're constantly, um, you, what you're doing is they're, they're watching you, they're learning from you. And, and, and again, you know, I, I want to get on my soapbox a little bit here, okay? From time to time, I, I'll kind of, this is what God's Word said, this is what Mike says, this is what Mike says, Okay? And I think I need to distinguish that. Uh, there's something I'm really concerned about in our culture today, and it's a change that we're seeing take place. And it's our children and our families are being discipled more by TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat than they are by God's Word. And, 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 it, and I'll get on my soapbox here a little bit because this is something that the church cannot stay silent about. We've already said they're not evil, right? When we talked about 
online disciples. There are tools that we can use for good or for bad, but as parents, we need to protect our kids and show our kids uh, how to use them in the right way and when not to use them. I, I think if you don't believe me, I, I, I would challenge you, if you're a parent, to get, if you have a child that has a phone, and uh, I would say most parents, unfortunately, uh, most of their kids do have phones now. If you go to, to an, if you got an iPhone, go to screen time and look at the, how much time they're spending per day on each app. If you got an Android, you can go to health and well-being uh, or digital well-being and go to parental controls. You can look at the screen time there. Here's, here's what's scary. I have a feeling you're going to be surprised. The latest study I said I saw said this. It said, on average, children ages 8 to 12 in the U.S. spend four to six hours a day on screens. Four to six, that's 8 to 12. And you think, well, teenagers, it's a little bit more. It's up to nine hours a day. What is discipling our kids? What is discipling our kids? How much time are we spending with them? How much time are we spending reading the word to them? How many gospel conversations are we having with them? There's a whole movement out there that I've seen pop up now several times. It's not even, it's not Christian based. This is teachers and parents coming together. And it's a whole big movement called the Wait Until Eight movement. I don't know if anybody's heard about it. I've seen a lot of ads for it. And it's telling parents, it's trying to come together and say, we need to wait until eighth grade before your child has a smartphone. And, and you know, this, I'm, I've got older kids, so uh, we didn't have to fight these battles. And I know it's tough, and I know there's pressure, and I know. But my, all my friends have, and I need one. And that, you're, you have the responsibility as a parent to protect your kids. It's all right if your kid is different. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but wait until 8th. I think, you know, it, it says here, um, I'll read a little bit uh, off the, 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 it says smartphones are distracting and potentially dangerous for children, yet are widespread in elementary school because of unrealistic social pressures and expectations to have one. These devices are quickly changing childhood for children, playing outdoors, spending time with friends, reading books, and hanging out with family is happening a lot less to make rooms for hours on the on the screen parents feel powerless in this uphill battle and need community to support uh, to help delay the ever-evolving presence of the smartphone in the classroom social arena and family dinner table so I, I, that's my soapbox guys you have the responsibility to protect your family to model for your family and just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean we have to do it so that's my soapbox because that leads me into my next point though the primary responsibility for discipling the family lies with the parents and not the church. This is not a message you're going to hear in a lot of churches. Because the church is like, well, just invite people. Just bring them. We'll handle everything. We've got an awesome student ministry. We've got an awesome children's ministry. Just bring them, bring them. Here's, I think, I would say it this way, right? We want to come alongside you. We want to equip you. We want to support you. But we don't want to replace you. You have the responsibility to disciple your family. It's not us. And we come together, we learn, we have fellowship, we learn from God's word together. But the primary role of discipleship goes to the family. 
Matt Chandler in his book said this. He said, in many ways, culture has convinced parents that it's better to outsource the education and training of their children to professionals. We send them to teachers, counselors, tutors, coaches, and churches to learn and develop. Because of this reality, many parents walk in insecurity over their parental influence. He goes on to say there's nothing wrong with utilizing specialists in specific fields for the sake of your child's growth. Parents aren't expected to be the expert on everything in the life of their kids. But when it comes to spiritual matters, God gives the primary responsibility of religious instruction and the training of children to parents. That's our role when we are are instructing, when we are teaching, when we are discipling our families. And the reality is, your child's faith will be a reflection of your own. That should be scary, right? That's a little bit scary when you start thinking about that. Your child's faith is a reflection of your own. You're, You're already discipling them whether you realize it or not. You're discipling them because they're watching you every day to see how you act, to see how you respond, to see uh, you're teaching them you're teaching them the importance of Christian community and church. You're teaching them priorities. You're che- teaching them how to handle conflict. You're demonstrating how you organize your day and how you focus on God and how much time you spend in the Word. Uh, you're teaching them how to treat others. You're teaching them all of this stuff. Is, it's all discipleship, and you're already doing it. And so your child's fl- faith is going to be a reflection of your own. And so it really comes down to you've got to work on, you, have you, and they always say this, and when you fly on a, an airplane, they always say, if the oxygen mask come down, you've got to put on your own before you put it on your child. Have, you, have y'all flown lately and you've seen the whole spiel they do, and the, here's how you work a seatbelt, and here's how you do the oxygen mask. But there's truth to that in a spiritual sense. We've got to put on our own mask. We've got to disciple ourselves. We've got to be learning and growing as a follower of Jesus so that we can help others. They're they're learning. They're watching. They're growing. They're they're seeing what we're doing every day. And and I'll tell you this, and it's real to me this week, right? Everybody always tells you, you got little kids, oh, it's going to go by so fast. And you're like, do you know how long my day is? Do you know how long, I mean, do you know how much little sleep I get? And do you know how str- the days are long, but the years are short, right? And they're going to fly by, and you're going to blink, and they're going to be off on their own. We have to be intentional about the time we have because it's going to be gone before you know it. And then your role changes. You still are their parent. You still are discipling them, but you're doing it from the sidelines. And so that's really right. This is so important. When you extend grace, when you show love, when you encourage others, what you, when you live out the fruit of the Spirit, your children are watching. And as you go throughout the day, as you eat dinner together, and I hope you're eating dinner together, Right? I hope you're, you're taking time, and I know, but there's practice, and there's this, and there's activities, and if you're so busy, you can't sit down and eat together, you're too busy, because it's important. There's study after study. I think it's modeled in Scripture, the importance of gathering around the table, right? Uh, in Psalm 78, there's a, a passage here that I want to share with you, and this is what we do with our kids. This is the model, Right? 
Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I will open up my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Uh, Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to them, uh, tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, he is, which he has commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, that the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. I know one writer that used to always say, we are yet one generation away from the extinction of Christians. And what he meant by that, all it takes is one generation, uh, right, where we fail to pass down our faith to the next generation. You see it in the book of Judges, time after time, the Israelites uh, that would say a, a new generation came up that did not remember the commands of their fathers and they did what was right in their own eyes. It's so important that we pass down our faith to the next generation. And as a parent, you have the ability, you have the potential to impact many generations yet to come because of your faithfulness and obedience. That's what leaving a legacy is all about. I've read several books lately. I'm on the downhill slope, I feel like now, a little bit on life, right? And so I'm starting to think about what is the legacy that's going to be left behind, how can I be more intentional even in my older years as I get older and our kids are out of the house? How can I be more intentional about leaving a, a legacy? And see, I love these verses like this, right? Uh, that we don't want the next generation to forget the works of God, to forget to keep his commandments. We've got to be talking about what God has done in our life. We've got to be talking about how we've seen God move and work. We've got to be talking about the commands of God and how they've impacted our life. Our children need to hear that. They need to see it demonstrated. Um, and, and so are we sharing with our families what God is doing? Are, are we sharing? Our faith is personal, but it should never be private. Our faith is, it should never be private. Our, our belief here at Cornerstone is that we want to help you, right, disciple and train your kids. One of the things we've done... Uh, we, we, um, we had a baptism last week. I don't know who got to come to that. It was awesome. It looked like it was going to rain. It looked like it was going to downpour. It's like the rain stopped right before we started. It held off. Uh, it was, man, a great, great celebration. We had eight people baptized out at the river last week. And um, so quite a few youth. Uh, we did have a, a few kids and um, uh, some adults as well. So uh, one of the, the cool things that we've done here at Cornerstone is if you have a child in our children's ministry, they come to us and say, I want to be baptized. Um, I know a lot of churches, you have to sit down and meet with a pastor. Here's what I found out when I sit down and meet with a kid. They look at me and they're scared to death of me. I don't know why. They look at me and they're like, he's a scary man. I'm like, so tell me about it. Have you put your faith in Christ? And they won't talk. They won't say anything to me. And so here's what we've done. We've got a book. If a, a kid comes to us and says, I want to be baptized, we say, that's awesome. That's incredible. Here's this workbook. We give it to their parents and we say, parents, this is your responsibility. You work through this with your kid. And when you're done with it and when they are ready, you let us know. But as a parent, this is your responsibility. 
I love that, right? Because it puts the responsibility back where it belongs for, your, for you to disciple your child. And so that's, that's, that's one small example of how we do ministry here at Cornerstone. And we talk about that in youth group and, and, and children's ministry. It's like, how can we equip parents? How can we encourage parents? How can we be there to support you, to equip you, but not to replace you? And so uh, in Matt Chandler's book, he talks about, uh, you know, this is what it looks like on a day-to-day basis uh, on discipling your family, on the parents taking the responsibility. He talks about modeling, uh, which serving as a godly example for your family, living out your genuine walk with, with God and demonstrating true repentance where and when you fall short. So your kids need to see you. How, your kids learn a lot from how you mess up. What do you do? Do you, how do you control your emotions? How do you confess? How do you repent? They see that and they learn from that. And then a family discipleship time. And he talks about creating intentional time built into the rhythm of the family's life for the purpose of thinking about, talking about, and living out the gospel. So what are those intentional times, set apart times in your life to talk about faith? Then he talks about the moments. The family discipleship moments, capturing and leveraging opportunities in the course of everyday life for the purpose of gospel-centered conversations. That's what Caleb was talking about. Just your kids ask you a question. Well, let me tell you a story, right? It's like, I know let's, there's a great thing. In, let me tell you this principle from the Bible that applies to just what you asked. It's taking those uh, moments. And then he talks about family discipleship milestones, Marking and making occasions to celebrate and commemorate significant spiritual milestones of God's work in the life of the family and child. And, and we see this throughout Scripture as well. We see uh, altars that are built and monuments. Right? This is the altar to remember what God has done. And so how are we doing that in our family? How are we remembering right, the significant moments of our life, our spiritual life? Um, and so... Uh, and I would just say this, right? Our family is the greatest mission field we have. And as a pastor, if I'm successful here as, as a pastor at Cornerstone, if I'm as successful as a pastor, but I fail in my family, I failed in both. Right? If I, I mean, my, my family is my first and my primary responsibility. And so what does this mean? This, this kind of leads me to... To my next point, our goal is for our families to love God and to disciple others. It's an interesting story in the Bible in Acts chapter 10, and I'll just kind of hit the overview of it. It's about a guy named Cornelius. And, uh, you know, it's almost like one of those afterthoughts in the Bible. You like read through it and you don't really think about it, but it has a significant impact. And I want to bring this up because I want you to look at his family. I want you to look at his example to his family. I'll pick it up. I'll read a few verses here, uh, Acts 10. Uh, it says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor. He prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, And Cornelius looked at him in terror and said, what is it? 
The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what has happened. He sent them off to Joppa. Now let, let me give you the backstory here a little bit. Uh, Caesarea is Caesarea Maritima. Uh, which was on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a big Roman fortress city. Herod had built a palace here. Uh, incredible little city that still, you still see the ruins of the amphitheater that Herod built. It's used for rock concerts today. It's a neat place there. Uh, you've got the Hippodrome. You've got all this stuff. Uh, this is where Paul stood before Felix, the governor, right? This is, this is, and this is where uh, Cornelius was stationed not far from the, the Galilee region, like 40 miles from there. So um, um, he, 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 was, he had this reputation, even among the Jews, as a God-fearing man. And so God was about to use him here in a significant way. God says, hey, you need to go get Peter. You two need to meet up. And so uh, I'll kind of skip all the, the, if you read through Acts 10, he goes, Peter says, hey, I, I just had this vision um, and the end result is because of this man's faithfulness. The gospel went from being just preached to the Jews to all of the Gentiles. Right? Because of a faithful Roman soldier who was not a Jew, who was not part of God's chosen people, but yet he was faithful and God used him. He was, he was not the religious elite. He was a normal, everyday guy. He was a leader that God used to bring the gospel to the world. You don't hear a lot about Cornelius, but he, he played an important role. And the reason I share that is when you get serious about following Jesus. I loved it because it said everyone in his household was devout as well. Right? He had a legacy. He had an impact. He changed the world because he was faithful. And throughout the Bible, you'll see story after story of God using ordinary, everyday people to do extraordinary things. You see story after story of God taking non-religious people and doing great works of God through them. And, and my question to you is what could you and your family do if you get serious about following Jesus. Think about the impact that your children could have. Think about the impact your grandchildren could have. Think about the impact generations yet to come. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? You know, you read the story of Billy Graham and you look at how he was led to Christ and, and you look at who led that guy to Christ and you look and it goes all the way back. You keep tracing it back. The impact that one preacher had at one point in time generations later Billy Graham is leading millions to, to Christ it's amazing to think about the impact an ordinary person can have generation after generation after generation and so I'll kind of leave you with this thought here and it's simply this family discipleship it is not popular in today's culture if your goal as a parent, is to raise popular kids, then this message is not for you. I'll just be honest with you. If that's your driving force, is I want my kids to be well-liked and popular and cool, right, then this, I'm kind of pointing you in a different direction. Uh, Matt Chandler said this. He says, 
while it's certainly not the goal to raise kids to be deliberately irritating to the world, it should absolutely be your hope to have children who will not shy away from what is true just because it does, in fact, irritate someone. What you believe as a Christian is offensive to modern sensibilities. Let this sink in. If God graciously saves your child, many in the culture will be repulsed by your child. And at the very least, discipled kids will be considered weird. I just share that. Because I think sometimes as parents, we want our kids to be well-adjusted, well-liked, popular, dressed nice have a good manner, you know, that's, we want them to have a good life, a good job. If you want your child to be a follower of Jesus, they're going to be a little weird. And I I would love to see Cornerstone known as that church where you have a bunch of weird kids, okay? I'm all right with that. I don't know about you. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with being different from the world around us? Are you okay with acting different and looking different and living differently? If your goal is to be the most popular, right? That ain't ain't gonna happen when you start following Jesus because it gets a little weird sometimes. And so I wanna challenge you. How can you be intentional, right? How can you be faithful? How can you be involved in the life of your child where you're teaching them and you're modeling for them what it looks like to follow Jesus? I'm going to close with a psalm today. In the Psalm 145, I'm going to ask you guys to stand up as we read this. Um, I'll read it, but you, you can read along with it on the screen here. But I want you to think about this. I want this to be your prayer today as we close out. It says, I will exalt you, my God and my King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor in all of your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all of his creation. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word that just continues to challenge us. Lord, this being a parent, leading a family in today's world, it's, um, it's tough. I'm thankful for the many people in this room who have stepped up and are leading their families to, to honor you, to trust you, to believe in you. And as a church, Lord, we want to do everything we can to strengthen them and to support them and to equip them. Lord, your word tells us, right, that we should be this light on a hill, that we should not be ashamed of our faith, that we need to let others see it. And so help us to do that. Help us to disciple our families well, to teach, to train them, to bring them up in the training and the admonition, the nurture of of God. Lord, help us just to, to show them what it looks like to truly follow after you with all of our heart, soul, our mind, and our strength. And Lord, we pray for our young people, 
knowing that they are bombarded every day by messages that are contrary to the gospel, knowing that they are bombarded with messages telling them that to be happy, to have joy, they just need something. And we know what that something is. It's faith in Jesus. So help us to share that with our, our children. Lord, we trust you. And we, um, we want to follow you. Even if that means we are a little different. Even if it means we're weird. Even if it means you do things in our life and through us that the world may not understand. But we just want to thank you. We want to praise you for saving us. For giving us new life in Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.